Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Amen. Last week, uh, I started again talking about the Garden of Prayer. How many were, weren't here last week? Was there a few that weren't here last week? So if you remember, uh, this phrase should sound familiar to you, the Garden of Prayer. Uh, it's something that we've talked about a lot here in the church. Uh, we really began talking about it back in 2000, or 2020. Um, when the pandemic really was beginning, really starting to catch steam. And we, were, we had taken a little break here at church for a little while just to figure things out. Um, during that season, the Lord began giving us this revelation on the garden of prayer. And uh, for just a real quick um, uh, just synopsis of that, the garden represents, what that represents is that life you have with the Father, the life you have with God, that secret place relationship. You know, in Scripture, the garden represents the place of communion with God. It's the place, it's the meeting place, it's the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day, fellowshipping with Him. So the garden represents that interior life you have with the Father. And I believe that one of the ways we cultivate that garden, one of the ways we build our relationship with the Father in that place, the primary way is through prayer. One of the primary ways is through prayer. And so uh, this morning, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the subject of prayer with you this morning. And, uh, and we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about being bold, being audacious, being daring in our prayers. Amen. Let's look in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, going to start in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was in prayer, one of his disciples came over to him as he finished and said, Would you teach us a model prayer that we can pray, just like John did for his disciples? The next few verses there, Jesus teaches them the most famous prayer in the entire world, the, the, uh, Jesus' prayer there. We're going we're gonna, to, not that it's not important, but we're going to skip over that and go to verse 5. After he finished teaching him the prayer, in verse 5 it says that Jesus gave this illustration. Imagine what would happen if you were to go to one of your friends in the middle of the night and pound on his door and shout, please, do you have some food you can spare? A friend just arrived at my house unexpectedly, and I have nothing to serve him. But your friend says, what are you bother why are you bothering me? The door's locked and my family and I are all in bed. Do you expect me to get up and give you our food? But listen, because of your shameless impudence, even though it's in the middle of the night, your friend will get up out of his bed and give you all that you need. So it is with your prayers. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll discover. Knock on heaven's door and it will one day open for you. Every persistent person will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he needs. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. Amen? Bob Sorge is a, is a Christian writer and he wrote a book called Illegal Prayers. In this book, Illegal Prayers, he takes this parable and he explains it in a profound way. And how he does that is he, he brings it into kind of modern terms. So I'm going to do that for you here this morning. Uh, bring this parable into some modern terms, okay? So let's say there's this gentleman 
We'll call him John. John lives in a different state. And John gets a phone call from his boss and says, listen, I need you to get on a plane right now and fly to Indiana. You've got an important business meeting that I need you to go to in Leisure, Indiana, the hub of all business, right? <laughs> Leisure, Indiana. So I need you to get to Leisure. So in haste, John gets on a plane immediately as fast as he can. He begins flying over to Indiana. On his way over, he realizes something. He realizes that in his haste to leave, in his urgency to leave, he didn't bring a suitcase, he didn't pack any clothes, he didn't pack anything. He forgot his cell phone and he didn't bring his wallet. John must not be married, right? <laughs> he forgot all of those things. And so he's on the plane and he's thinking, what am I going to do? How am I, how am I going to get to leisure? Where am I going to stay? I don't have any money. I don't have any way to get a hold of anybody. Then he remembers John has a really good friend that lives in leisure. He has a really good friend that lives near the leisure area, and it's Jeff and Jenny Barber. So he thinks, I'm just going to get to Jeff and Jenny's house. And if I get to Jeff and Jenny's house, then I'll be good. They'll, they'll be able to take care of me. So he gets, he gets to the Indianapolis International Airport. He lands. He gets, uh, gets everything situated. And then he, he doesn't have any money, so he has to hitchhike, right? So he, he gets out on the highway, and he hitchhikes. He, he gets in the car. I don't recommend that. He hitchhikes, but John's desperate, right? So he hitchhikes to Jeff and Jenny's house. By the time he gets to Jeff and Jenny's house, it's really late at night. But, but him and Jeff and Jenny, they're, they're really good friends. He knows they'll understand. So he knocks on the door. Jeff answers the door. He's got sleep in his eyes. You know, he's wiping it out of his eyes. And, and, uh, and he's like, oh, John, you know, how you doing? What's going on? And John explains the situation. He's, you know, just apologetic. And, and Jeff's like, no big deal, man. No big deal. Just come on in the house. So John comes in the house. But, and and here's, here's where we have to maybe go back a little bit to some Jewish culture and bring it, bring it to nowadays, okay? Because nowadays, you know, you'd welcome that friend in, but then you'd go back to bed, right? Like, like set him up on the couch, I'm going back to bed, see you in the morning. But in Jewish culture, no matter what time of night, or what time of day it is, if you have a guest come into your house, you are required to feed them before you before you allow any rest, before you are allowed to rest. And so Jeff, being the good Jewish boy that he is, <laughs> puts his yarmulke on. Is that what that's called? And then, uh, and, and, and sets John down at the table. He gets Jenny up and he says, hey, we've, we've John's here, we've got to feed him. And so they, they're sitting at the dinner table, but here's the problem. He goes to the fridge and looks inside they don't have any food. They're all out tomorrow's grocery day, right? So they're just fresh out of food. So what is he going to do? He's, he's got John here. He's got to feed him. He has no way to feed him. Uh, harvest market's already closed. You know, it's almost midnight. They don't, he doesn't really have time to drive to Kokomo or Marion to go to Meyer. You know, so what's he going to do? Well, Jeff remembers that he was just at Joe and Della's house the, earlier that evening. And they had pizza. And he remembers they ordered too much pizza and they had some extra pizza in the house. So he remembers, I can just go over to Joe and Della's house and I can get, get the pizza. So Joe, he's like, Joe and I, we're good friends. He'll understand. 
So he goes and he goes to Joe and Della's house and, and it's at this time it's midnight, right? It's in the middle of the night. He knocks on the door and uh, Joe peeks open and he's, and he's like, what do you want? What are you doing here? And Jeff explains, listen, John came, my good friend. I've got to feed him some food. I don't have any food. I remembered you had pizza. Just can I get the pizza? And Joe is just like, dude, I work. Well, you work midnight, so this story doesn't work for you, does it? You're not even home. But Della's home. So Della's like, man, I've been dealing with, with kids all day at the school. I, I sub today. I'm tired. Just leave me alone. If you want pizza, come back in the morning. And she slams the door in Jeff's face and goes back to bed. But Jeff is desperate. He's desperate for pizza. So he knocks on the door again. This time Della doesn't even open the door. She just yells, go away, right? Go away. Jeff just keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps knocking. Finally, Della relents. She opens the door. She throws the pizza out the door. She closes the door. Jeff goes home, feeds John. The store, he, he gets his food. They go to bed. He makes the business meeting. It's a happy ending, right? So this, this is what Jesus is telling them in modern terms, that prayer is like this. If you have a need... Even if the need's in the middle of the night and you're desperate, come and knock on the door. Be relentless. Be bold. And you'll receive what you need. So what is Jesus trying to say in this parable? Is, is, he, is he trying to say, listen, if you annoy God enough, if you're persistent enough, if you just keep asking, right? We, a lot of us in this room have kids or have had kids. You know what it's like. You know, they're tugging on you, mom, mom. Mom, 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 can I do this? No. Mom, can I do this? No. And then finally you're just like, whatever, just go get the candy. I don't care. Is, is this what Jesus is trying to say in the parable? That if you annoy God enough, he will give you what you ask for. I don't believe it is. Because if you go on in the, the, the verses, the following verses in, in verse 11, it says, it says, if you, being an earthly father, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who ask him? So I don't think the parable is really even necessarily about the, the annoyed neighbor, right? It's about the approach. That the Lord is saying, if, if, if the neighbor is willing to give you something good because of your persistence, how much more? Will your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who pursue him, who are bold enough to approach him? Amen. Amen. You know, I, I, so I don't, think the, I don't think the parable is necessarily about if you, if you do that, he'll begrudgingly give it to you. If the father wants to give it to you, what he's doing is he's telling them that through your relationship with God, you have permission to pray audacious, bold, relentless prayers. That through your relationship, you are given permission to pray audacious, bold, relentless prayers. Bob Sorge says it this way in the book. He says, audacity without relationship is presumption. 
audacity because of relationship can change the world. The key to this entire passage is the word friendship. The key to this entire passage is the word friendship. Because of Jeff and Jenny's relationship with Joe and Della, he was able to knock on the door and to keep knocking because of the relationship. He had to pass several houses to get to their house, right? He had to pass several houses to get to their house. He had to go out of his way to get to his friend's house. What would have happened if he stopped at the closest house of the random neighbor that he has no relationship with, has no, uh, has no uh, connection with at all? What would happen if they stopped and began knocking and pounding on their door at midnight? They'd probably get the cops called on them, right? Of course, we're in the middle of the country, so it'd probably be more like, right? <laughs> right? What they'd, they'd be doing something illegal, but because of relationship, he had the boldness to keep knocking until he got what he needed. Because of relationship, he had the audacity that even though it was inconvenient, even though it wasn't the right time, even though it was in the middle of the night, we had permission because of relationship to be bold and to keep knocking and to keep seeking until you found what you were seeking for. The key to this passage, passage is to be, when you are in relationship, audacity, being audacious, is given, you, are, you have permission to be audacious because of relationship, amen? Because of relationship, your friend eventually says yes. That's the importance of the garden. How many, how many of you have ever had a friend, we've all been there, who never calls you for anything? You know, you've tried calling them several times, you've texted them, they ignore your text. You call them and you say, hey, we were wanting to get together Friday night. Ah, we're, we're busy. We can't do that. But then summertime hits and you have a boat. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're best friends again, right? Or maybe you're like me and you had a friend when you were in, when, when you were in junior high. You had a, fr a, a person that lived down the road. And in the wintertime, you weren't real close to them. But in the summertime, all of a sudden you were best friends because they have a pool in their backyard. You know what I mean? That's sometimes how we treat God. That when we are in need of something, we go to him in prayer, right? We're knocking on the door. God, I need something. God, I, I have this need. I have this urgent request. But we have never built or spent time in the garden cultivating that relationship. We've never spent time in the garden cultivating that relationship with the Father. So we're knocking on a door of an acquaintance and not a friend, right? Relationship in prayer is vital, amen? There's another story in the Bible that shows us what it looks like to be audacious, to be bold in prayer. It's found in Mark chapter five found in Mark chapter five, and it's about this woman that we'll all recognize this story. I'm just gonna share the story with you instead of reading it, but it's found in Mark chapter five. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. 
And so the story begins with Jesus coming across the sea and landing on the shore of Capernaum. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus landed on the shore, he was immediately met by a crowd of people uh, that heard he was coming. And so as soon as he set foot on the shore, this, this crowd began to develop around Jesus. And all of a sudden, this man begins making his way through the crowd, pushing people out of the way. And it says that this man falls before Jesus. And this man is a prominent man in the community. It says that he's the leader of the synagogue there in Capernaum. And the man's name is Jairus. Jairus falls before Jesus and he begins telling Jesus that his daughter is deathly sick. She's deathly ill and that she needs Jesus to come to his house because he believes that Jesus can heal his daughter. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus begins immediately, begins walking towards Jairus's house with Jairus. As he's walking, the crowd follows him. The crowd goes with Jesus and it says that the crowd is pressing him on all sides. He's all around Jesus. They're all around Jesus and pressing him on every side. And it says that, that in this crowd, it says in verse 25, it says that within this, this large crowd around Jesus, there's this woman that is there. And it tells us a little bit about the woman. It doesn't give us her name. It doesn't give us a lot of history. All that we really know about this woman is that for 12 years, she struggled with this issue of blood. She was continually bleeding. And it says that she spent all of her money, all of her resources, going to doctor after doctor, looking for a cure and not able to find one. And so this woman has spent all of her resources, all of her money, and she's still dealing with this issue. She's been hearing all of these stories about this man named Jesus who touches people and makes them well, that these miracles follow this man, Jesus. But the other sad part of her story is she's not able to leave the house because of the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, which says in Leviticus chapter 15, it says that a woman with this issue was considered ceremonially unclean. And she was to be treated like a leper or an outcast, meaning she could have no physical contact with other people. And so she's been dealing with this issue for 12 years. And for 12 years, she's been shut out by the community because of her issue. At this point, the woman is desperate. She's desperate for healing and she hears about Jesus coming down the road. And so she does something unexpected. She leaves her house and walks into the crowd, right? She walks out into the crowd. But here's the other thing about the Levitical law that it says in Leviticus chapter 15. It says that not only is she ceremonially unclean, but every time she touches a piece of furniture or brushes up against somebody's clothes or touches somebody, that those things then become unclean. So this woman begins making her way through the crowd. And as she's making her way through the crowd, every person, every object she touches becomes unclean. Imagine the boldness that it took for this lady to step out and do that. 
Because I would imagine that given her situation and the length of time that she had been dealing with it, the community knew her face. They knew the issues she was dealing with. And so I imagine that she probably had to cover her face to make her way through the crowd because if the crowd knew this woman walking through, she would not only be facing embarrassment, but she'd be facing the wrath of her community. She was literally breaking the law by going through this crowd to get to Jesus. But there was something that rose up inside of her that was bold and daring and audacious and even desperate. That said, if I can just get to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get to the one they call the healer, then I can be made well. And so she boldly steps out and begins pushing her way through this crowd, defiling every person she passes. She finally gets to Jesus. She comes up behind Jesus, the Bible says, and it says she reaches out and touches his cloak, which the scholars believe it would have been his prayer shawl that she grabbed. She grabbed his prayer shawl, and there's a lot of significance there, and I'm not going to get into it all this morning, but she grabs his prayer shawl. And it says that as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, as soon as she touched his shawl, it says that she immediately felt the power surge through her body and she could tell immediately that she was made completely whole and well. That because of her boldness, because of her relentlessness, she received her healing. In that moment, Jesus turns around and he says, hold on, everybody. He stops the whole crowd. And he begins looking around and he said, who touched me? And now Peter, Peter being the guy Peter was, is like, Jesus, everyone's touching you. Everyone wants a piece of you, Jesus. The whole crowd is touching you. Everybody's pressed up against you. There's been hundreds of people that have touched you. Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus goes, no, this is different. He said, somebody touched me and I felt the power come out from me and somebody touched me and received healing. Who touched me? And he began looking around the crowd and he said, it says that the woman was kind of stuck there in the crowd and she began to realize that she wasn't going to be able to sneak away quietly. And it says in the Bible, it says that she came before Jesus trembling in fear. Why was she trembling in fear? Because she knew she had broken the law over and over again by getting to Jesus. Not only did she defile the people that she broke through the crowd to get to Jesus, but by touching Jesus himself, according to the, the Mosaic law, she was defiling Jesus. So she realizes she can't get away. She falls before Jesus. She's trembling in fear, not knowing what Jesus is going to do in this moment. She's terrified that because of her boldness, because of her audacity, because of her relentlessness, that she was going to get a rebuke from Jesus. But what does Jesus do instead? He looks at her and he says, daughter, 
which that word in itself is so powerful. He doesn't look at her and call her woman. He doesn't look at her and call her just some random person. He looks at her and he says, daughter. He looks at her, says, daughter. He said, let me just read it to you. He says, daughter. Because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with your peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. She was terrified that she was going to get in trouble for being bold. She was afraid that she was going to be in trouble for, for being relentless and daring and even breaking the law. But instead what she hears is daughter because you dared to believe, because you were bold, because you were relentless, you've received your healing. Go in peace with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. Jesus gave her and us permission to break the box of expectations, to move past formality. He gave us permission to be bold, extravagant, and even demanding in our prayers. He looks at her and doesn't rebuke her for her boldness, but instead encourages her because of her boldness. He doesn't rebuke her because of her audacity. Instead, he tells her, because of your audacity, you have been made well. Amen? Jesus in this moment, gives us permission to break out of the box of expectation and to move past formality and to go for broke. Amen? The woman showed us how to be bold with our prayers, how to go for broke. Her obstacle was the Mosaic law in a crowd of people. But that's not the case for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 14, it says, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confessions. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Unlike the woman with the issue of blood, we don't have a crowd of people we are having to get through to access Jesus. Because of the cross, the veil has been torn and we have full access to the Father. Our hindrance to get to Jesus isn't people or the law. We have a different obstacle to overcome. What's our obstacle? Our obstacle our hindrance to get to Jesus is fear and doubt and disillusionment, disappointment, distraction, unbelief, fatigue. These mental games we play with ourselves in prayer. We ask ourselves these kinds of questions. What if I pray and nothing happens? What if I get bold and I ask for the impossible 
and it doesn't happen. We begin to question, are we reading the Bible right? Are we interpreting the scriptures right? Does it really say that if I have faith as a mustard seed, I can move mountains? We begin asking things and saying things like, man, I've, I've prayed for things before. I've prayed for things before and, and nothing happened. I've been praying for a long time and nothing has changed. These are the kind of obstacles that we begin to face. For the woman, it was the Mosaic law and a crowd of people. For us, it's the fact that we've tried this before and we've become disillusioned because of disappointment. Or we begin to have unbelief or doubts in our mind that begin plaguing our thoughts and our imaginations. And we start thinking, man, I don't know if I can be bold. And it's not, let me say this, it's not just about healing. I know the, the references, the scriptures that we've talked about this morning have revolved around healing, but it's not just about physical healing. Man, we've been praying for revival for our country for how long now? And how many of you feel like we're just getting weary because it seems like we're praying for revival and things keep getting worse and not better? Or maybe you're in this room and you've been praying for a spouse. You've been looking for a partner to do life with and it just, there hasn't been anybody that's come around. There hasn't been any options. There hasn't been any, uh, any, any, anybody that you could see you're spending the rest of your life with and you've been praying and it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe you've been trying to get pregnant and you've been praying for a long time and you're just getting weary because you're tired of seeing the report again after again of it being negative. Maybe you have a prodigal son or daughter or family member and you've been praying a long time for them to come home and it seems like they're just getting further and further away. You see, our obstacle isn't the Mosaic law. Our obstacle isn't the fact that we don't have access to Jesus because through the cross, we have full access to the throne of grace. Our dilemma, our problem, our issue that is keeping us from being bold is our own doubt and disillusionment, is our own weariness in praying and being bold. These are what's keeping us from being audacious in our prayers. And to be vulnerable with you this morning, I've gone through this season. I'm still going through this season. You know, every day as a pastor, almost every day, I get phone calls or texts of people dealing with extremely difficult situations. And every time I hear those situations, I'll pray with them on the phone for healing or for encouragement and for those things. And if I'm real vulnerable and open and honest, there are times where I struggle with disillusionment. God, I've prayed this prayer before. I've been bold before. I've stepped out before. Only to be disappointed. So this disillusionment, this obstacle, even though it's not physical, it's very, very real 
Yet every time I go to the scriptures to look for an answer, to look for a revelation, I still read, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move any mountain. I still read that the works that I have done, greater works you will do because I go to my Father. I still read those passages that tell us whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask according to my will, it'll be granted to you. See, even though the struggle is real, the Bible never changes its mind about how we approach prayer. And so we end up with this choice. We either continue to believe the word or we stay in our disillusionment. We either fight for boldness in our prayers or we stay in this place of doubt and fear to push through the crowd. The question then is, what do we do in this season? What do we do when we're dealing with disillusionment? This, my friends, is why the garden is so important. This is why it's so important that you have a relationship with the Father. That you go to prayer, yes, for things, but you also go to prayer because, like it says in Matthew 6, 6, it says, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in the secret place. The reason we go to prayer is to be with the father. If you remember last week, the very word prayer itself is the, is the word prosuke. It's a compound word. The last word uke means petition, vow, a promise. It's the asking for things. But that first word pros is the word towards or the word to draw near. Some translators translate it face to face. So prayer can literally be interpreted to bring your petitions before the Lord face to face. So relationship is the key to prayer. But relationship is also the key to boldness. That when we are in that state of not, not understanding why it's not happening, then we don't, then we have this, we have this place to go to, we have this security, we have this, this hope, this sure foundation that we may not understand why the prayer is not being answered yet, but we know who it is that we're praying to that we may be unsure of why the prayer is not happening or we're not seeing fulfillment yet, but we have this confidence and trust because it's built, this prayer, this petitioning is not built on high hopes in the sky, right? This petition is based on a face-to-face -face relationship with our Father. And if I don't understand what's happening here, I know one thing for sure, that He is trustworthy.
that I have such a relationship with him that even though I don't understand fully what's happening here, I do fully understand that I can put my faith in him because he is faithful every single time. And when you have that kind of relationship, when you have the garden cultivated and established, then you can boldly approach the throne of grace. You can boldly pray things. You can be audacious and relentless and, yes, even demanding in your prayers because you're not praying to some unknown God hoping that something is going to happen. You're praying to your Father who you know you can trust. That's why we got to cultivate the garden. That's why we have to know who it is that we're praying to. Not just about him. Not just the principles that, he, that the Bible gives us. But we have to know the author. We have to know our creator. We have to know the one who loves us. And when we know him, when we have relationship with him, we can be bold and audacious. Amen. I want to encourage you with two things this morning through this message. Number one, once again, I want to encourage you, cultivate the garden of prayer. Cultivate the place of prayer. Cultivate that, that uh, relationship you have with the Father. Don't just know about him. Anybody can know about God. We live in America, right? Everybody can tell you John 3.16. It's more than just knowing who he is, knowing about God. We have to intimately know the Father. And you do that by spending time in his presence, by spending time in his word, by spending time in prayer and cultivating that place of prayer. So I encourage you, cultivate that place of prayer. Cultivate that personal relationship you have with the Father. And number two, the thing I want to encourage you with this morning is don't stop praying bold, relentless, audacious prayers. Don't allow disillusionment to blind you from the revelation that is clear in Scripture. Don't allow, don't allow disappointments to keep you from being bold and asking and petitioning the Father face to face. Let's continue to be bold in asking for physical healing. Let's be, continue to be bold in asking for revival to come to our nation Let's be bold and continue to be relentless in praying for our communities around us. We have a bold and audacious God. Let our prayers match the God that we serve. Amen? Amen.